Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, hostess with the mostest, matcha snob, and unapologetically bad at small talk. Seriously, tell me about your childhood. And I'm Joan Carnachon, queen of messy conversations, skincare junkie, and highly allergic to bullshit. You are now entering a judgment-free zone where together we will navigate the vital conversations that lift shame and shift paradigms. Our deepest desire is to normalize rewriting the narratives women have been taught about pleasure, money, power, sexual expression, and self-sovereignty. So join us each week for unfiltered, raw dialogue that educates, empowers, and hopefully entertains, or at the very least, makes the hard topics feel a little safer. And oh, by the way, when we say women, we are speaking to humans who identify with the divine feminine nature, non-binary royalty, our sacred sluts, the matriarch in the rising, and those of us who are still trying to figure their shit out. You guys know I love a good disclaimer, so here goes. We are not to be mistaken for doctors, lawyers, clinically trained psychologists, therapists, or your mother. But we are someone's mom. If you True. think this state is going well, subscribe to our show. And community means everything to us, so make sure to tell a friend or like all of your friends. Child's middle name is Thundercat. Is that right? Yeah, that's oh, right. That's so amazing. Yeah, so I've gotten so many like good, like yes, uh, tiger stuff now. That is amazing. Oh my god. Oh, it's mm, such so a cool. Names are so. I mean, they're so interesting because I. So my daughter's name is James, and I spelled it J A I M E S because I wanted if if she decides she would like it to be more feminine, she could like little, put a little heart over it in school and that kind of thing. <laughs> and then her middle name, you know, is actually is Pamela, but that's my, Mike's mom's name, and that's how I negotiated mm-hmm. the James in the first place. But it's just interesting, you know, a name is, that's a huge responsibility. I'm like, yes, they can change it when they're 18. And name negotiations are, they should teach you that in like couples classes. Cause that's definitely what happens. I've never. I, was like, I will raise you this gender neutral badass name uh, for your deceased mother's memory. Is that like, is that, that, is that yeah. yeah. That's good. <laughs> Oh my God. Can we really just like start adding these different topics of what should be negotiated prior to children being born or conceived? I mean, like, yeah, the name thing is one of them. And then who's doing what diaper duties during what particular days? Who gets (laughs) grocery shopping? (laughs) I mean, some of these things should probably be discussed pre- marriage. Oh, all the things. Yeah. (laughs) Joe is such a dope name. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was on the, I mean, I like Joe too, cause it's a short, you can do like, you can do something. Wanted to make sure again, that I had like the optionality of gender neutrality or yeah. like just the like Kai short name. Yeah. Great. If you want to go by Kai, cause Kaya feels too girly. Oh, my husband really wanted like these girly ass names it's like <laughs> anything with like lots of vowels so I was like you really like vowels and they all sounded like vibrator names to me Ooh. 
you know, I'm sure. you can save that for a future product later. For future product. <laughs> I feel like I need to give the audience just a little bit of context because who knows? I typically keep, we keep everything pretty much. We just, it's nothing confidential. So there's no reason to, to overly structure but just for y'all, drop it in. In the middle of our conversation, uh, we are chatting with Alex, aka a Fine Human, which I think is the greatest. Her real, her name is Alex Fine. It's their name. The greatest, the greatest Instagram handle of all time is okay. the president, CEO, creator of Dame products, which Joe and I both are obsessed with. Use all the time. Super obsessed. Oh, so obsessed. Could not. Could not be more jazz. And that will be part of the conversation, I'm sure. But honestly, Alex is just such a fascinating, brilliant, whimsical human being. We have so many other things we would rather discuss with them. So we're just going to flow and let it go. And we'll get around to that when we can. But I wanted people to know that since I'm sure there will be a lot of sex toy references in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex, your preferred pronouns are she, them, they, them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Awesome. All them. All, 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 all of them, <laughs> them pronouns. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I've also heard, you know, one of a, a pronoun option is just your name too, yeah, which I, so exactly. I met somebody who was like, my, and I was like, I love that it too. Is. Just but I like the all name instead of searching for, you know, instead of searching yeah. for the pronoun, just say, I, I think Joe, I've seen you doing that a lot with Liv as they yeah. have indicated their preferred pronouns to you um, in the last week or so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super stoked to have this conversation because both of my daughters and they're still okay being referred to as daughters, but do not want to yeah. be called girls um, are one of them uh, is non-labeled and then she is still she, they, and then the other is um, claims proudly non-binary and pansexual. Um, and they as of two weeks ago is they, them. Um, and so it's been a beautiful, like <laughs> confusing yet amazing transitionary time in this house because it's like our, our like sync up times on Sundays. What is everyone's pronouns? What has changed? What has not changed? What do you want to be referred to as this week? And like, how do I support you in navigating that with all your teachers, please? <laughs> so yeah, That's this amazing. is an amazing conversation to have. And I'm stoked because I know that you've had a very similar journey of yourself of just discovering all the other things, right? I'd like to be re-asked once a week. I think that sounds great. <laughs> okay. Like you're just to give the space and to have fluidity. Um, and yeah, because I don't think anybody ever asked me until I was like 20. 26, 28, maybe in my late twenties, like what program, I don't know, like, options. I didn't even, and I kind of feel like if your first response is there are options, right. that's probably kind of telling versus like, oh, it's definitely she, like, uh, you know, it's just like, this is, this is cool to be able to be other, um, or be more. Um, so that really resonates with me, but I also feel don't feel so so strongly about it like because of the fluidity of it and because of like my excitement of being any of them um it doesn't feel so important to me but it, I don't know it's really interesting and I think it's also maybe because like I don't I just don't love you know I think when you're a female founder everybody refers to you as a female founder versus just a founder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And by all means, like, I do think it's really important that, you know, like I'm a founder and I am different than most founders. Cause I'm not a cis white 
man or cis man, white, white cis man. Yeah. Not the order. <laughs> this order man. of importance. Orders. Um, so it's like important to acknowledge that that is part of my identity. Um, but I've just always hated it. And I think it's because it feels like maybe part of one of the reasons I didn't like it is because it's just like constantly getting my, this female as like the first part of my identity mm-hmm. when maybe it just doesn't, it just doesn't feel like what I would normally lead with. Um, but yeah, I really like having the options. I still don't really know what I am. I like thinking of it as like a non-binary woman, which I think is, doesn't make any sense like at all, because like, how can you know to say you're a woman is definitely binary so to be like I'm a non-binary woman like legit does not really yeah (laughs) but it makes sense to me because I feel very much like my whole experience in life has been um, referred to as a woman and I am a girl and everyone told me I was a girl so I'm a girl and a lot of the oppressions and challenges I've experienced are ones because of that label and I don't want to like put it I don't I feel comfortable in it. I'm just also so excited to be more than that. Mm. Um, Like for me, like non-binary, the way I dis, I haven't loved it is like, like I don't love like when I'm buying clothes for for my daughter. So I'm also like daughter, child, they, her, you know, like, well, um, all the gen, when you click on gender neutral, you don't get both genders no. in search terms. Gray. You just get, get gray. <laughs> get gray. Yeah. And I really dislike that. Like yeah. what I'm excited about is pink, pink sparkles <laughs> and like black leather jackets. Yeah. Like I love all of it, not gray. If anything, that's like pushes me away from it. Like it's not gender neutral. It's gender um, all yeah, yeah everything yeah. feels really fun to me and exciting yeah. um so I don't know I feel like I've said a lot and said again nothing at the same time well, but that is yeah no I, yeah. I experienced that as you when you're saying that you identify as a non-binary woman I I identify that as you using the language we've had, which is very limited, while also speaking to the possibility of everything that we're all learning and that you're discovering mm-hmm. about yourself. And I, so I think it makes perfect sense as well. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that, that came through real clear for me because let's be honest, when it comes to conversations about gender and the binary and all, it's like everything has been set up in camps of two, it's either, or mm-hmm. there, there hasn't been language to talk about it. There hasn't been away and there's so many things just like you're talking about with the gray where I feel like the the binaries version of neutral is like non-existence yeah. it's like blend yes. it disappears you more yeah. like it's not um leaving possibility for if and it's if you right. can't be one of these then you're none of these which is not the case yeah. and it's I love that you brought that up about just your your daughter your child your magical you know your star stardust wonderkind because I feel when James came I didn't have I like pink I really do I got pink headphones I got I have lots of pink shit I really enjoy pink but I had a visceral reaction to people being like oh you're having a girl here's a bunch of pink shit and I I'm not okay with that I also read Peggy Orenstein's um Oh God, what was this? Uh, Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah. yeah. Cinderella or whatever the, the that book was just around the 
the capitalization, the Disney princess thing, like all of that. And I felt really strongly about that. And so I got a little aggressive with family members about pink. And I was like, I get to pick the pink things nobody else gets to pick the pink things. And, you know, I, I, and I just invited them to explore sage and mustard and navy yeah. and lavender and, and all of these different colors that she looks fantastic in. Powder blue is like her power color. I'm like, and you can't tell me that there's anything less feminine about this powder blue romper the kid has on. Like <laughs> she, she gets to be all of those things. And yeah. I think somewhere in here is a question for you around what this process of having something so intimate that you're navigating and learning yourself in real time while also becoming a mother and wanting to take these learnings in real time and apply them to your child's experience and support her, them, they, as, as they grow. I think with James, I've, I've decided that, I mean, she gets to be whoever she wants. And like you were saying, it's nice to be asked. And I think there is this process that's so necessary now to be checking in with our kids starting earlier and earlier and asking them, are you comfortable wearing this? Are you comfortable doing this, playing with this? And I've really focused, especially when it comes to toys on making sure she doesn't get shit that's just this or just that. Like a princess thing has not entered our house, mainly because of the whole like saviorism thing, like not into that. Um, not the night on the white horse saying like, well, he ain't coming. We, we get our own shit done. So I don't care about that stuff, but she has dolls. She has cars. She has boats. She has planes. She has toolkits. She has all of the things so that she understands yeah. that none of these professions are reserved for either of these camps. It's not that you have to be one or the other. You get all of it. So I would love yeah. to just hear your thoughts and your experience on that as it's unfolding day to day. She doesn't even know she has hands yet. I feel like uh, I feel like I should be asking you both about this more. You know, I have no idea. Um, I definitely thought I would be mo maybe more intense with my family around getting all the pink stuff, and mm -hmm. I just kind of like. Well, one, we didn't know, and it's still wild how much pink stuff. Like it was like everybody just waited until they knew. Um, so we just didn't really know. Um, and I just kind of decided, you know, kind of like want to go, go with the flow a little bit. Um, it's fine. Mostly she doesn't have a lot of pink stuff. And I also kind of feel like pushing non-feminine, right? Like I, I like the idea of having everything because I, I, I don't, maybe she does like skirts. Maybe she does like leopard print suitcases with pink trimming, which we got. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, yes. <laughs> yes. At first I was like, this is like a very intense suitcase that my daughter is not going to need for years. And now I've decided like, I think I want a matching one. Like <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, I think my husband would get one too. We could, we would look really good in the, in the airport. Um, <laughs> But I, I think that like what you just said makes so much sense to me. Just offer everything and have conversations and space for what you're liking and what you don't like. Because I also think when you're a child, like I, that is sometimes when you just like know your preferences the most strongly and most authentically. I, I called my mom up the other day and I was like, mom, when I was three, like, what was I really into? And she was like, I don't remember. I was like, damn, I just, 
feel like that's what I'm really into and I don't remember anymore. Um, so yeah, I think I'll follow y'all's lead on this <laughs> more than come up with my own ideas and tweak them from there. But Joe, I love checking in on a, on a weekly basis. I think that's so beautiful and this gives me the space to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that's, you know, come up obviously because of the divorce and whatnot of just like having to have these regular check-ins and just like health and what I like to call a vibe check here at home. Um, but in that vibe check, we also ask about what has changed, <laughs> what has changed on, on an individual basis, because it's so fluid. And one of the things that stood out to me when you were talking was like, the fact that you called yourself, you refer to yourself as a non-binary woman, because that's what works for me. And I love that you said it's what works for me. And I think that's the most important thing about being in support or allyship of somebody who uh, identifies as non-binary. It's about what works for them. It's not about what particular box anybody else wants to put for them. It's about that. I love that you're claiming that already so early on, because I think it's just going to model all the other things moving forward, you know, which is amazing. I'm jumping around a little bit because I remember discovering you. Well, there's many different ways I've discovered you. Um, One, like my first vibrator from Chris was actually from Dane Products, which was amazing. It was the palm. Beautiful little thing. Love, love the palm. Um, I was like, oh, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I do. You want to go? You probably don't have a favorite. No, I do. It's palm. It's palm. Yeah, definitely. It's palm. But I remember uh, just a shit show of a stir up of what happened with Dame and Facebook and Instagram. I think it was like, was it 2018 when they shut you down off of advertising? Mm -hmm. And I kind of just want to talk a little bit about that um, because I'm just curious because I know, I mean, you, Dame and you went through, uh, I don't want to say it was like a social campaign, but you guys went through quite a bit to try to speak up against this yeah and, to, and actually we're in a lawsuit with the mta yeah which is in new york city subway yeah. system yeah because it was it was that where they were also trying to take you down um, yeah about that and so i'm just like curious like what was that experience like what has been the um i don't want to say the fight but yeah the fight for that because i think it's you know it's obviously important for us we're here in the space of female pleasure and and sexual empowerment, sexual liberation. And so these are the things I feel like most people don't get to understand that there is a huge fight of us trying to put our names out there and our products out there and and all for the name of female pleasure. It's wild. I mean, I also think that the way the advertising industry shuts us down is really indicative of the actual like social, like the invisible social structures that like push us down. So to see it so explicitly written out in these advertising policies and in um, kind of also the differences between what male focused sexual pleasure companies experience versus female, which by all the way, like it's not, you know, there are a lot of male sexual companies out there that also really struggle with this. Definitely like, sexuality is um, squashed often by social media platforms. Um, and then women's experiences or, or an LGBT, um, just queer experiences are also squashed by, this, by the algorithm um, and, and also 
black voices seem to be squashed by the algorithm. Um, but that one's not as related to my ex current experience. Um, but it's just, that's what's happening, right? Um, and some of those things are more explicit than other things. But for me, I think what was particularly frustrating, illuminating, whatever was, so I was running Facebook ads and Facebook said that you cannot promote sex toys. So I, in my opinion, very cleverly was like, all right, I'm just going to promote myself as an entrepreneur. So I'm not promoting sex toys. So instead of doing products running ads, I was running ads, like as if I was like Gary V or somebody, right? Like it's my personal brand, like, and then I would sometimes feature articles that talked about me. So I'd be like, thank you so much to the New York times for featuring me and my work. Like I really appreciate it. And then you would click on the New York times article and which might be blocked because you might've had your six free articles. So it was not even a very good funnel. Um, you would read about Dame products and then it would push you to, and then maybe you would click and go to my website. And that was an incredibly profitable and effective funnel. Um, there are a few other ones. And then eventually Facebook decided that the New York Times article was inappropriate. And because it talked about a sex toy and it was like, it's like, look, it's a New York Times article. And it was like a W Magazine article the Today Show video, all of these things they said were inappropriate because the content discussed a sex toy. Um, and I remember feeling like, well, you're really shutting my voice down because like it was my personal brand. It wasn't even Dane products. Like you're literally telling me and, and then they shut down my account. Um, and I think there's like this element that I would often kind of feel like, oh, like don't take things personally. And then I remember that actually switching for me during that experience. I was like, no, this is personal. Actually, wait, you're stopping me from making money. And that's personal and that's real. Um, and while I don't think that the pursuit of capital is like the only thing to live for, it is the way, one of the main ways we develop, create power in this world. And therefore like I am, my, my power is certainly being squashed. Um, and that, sucks but as me you know my husband would all say that's also why you started the company right like just true um so whenever I'm feeling really down and then I'm reminded that that was like the actual intention of what I was trying to do that really is very motivating for me or like reminds me to like get back up and do it again um but yeah so you can't promote sex toys you can promote on Facebook you can usually promote erectile dysfunction medication. Usually this is like the comparison because of course hymns and Romans have been so successful. Um, and to me, these are all tools that help you have sexual pleasure. None of them are medically necessary. Like pretty much Facebook, it goes on to kind of say like the reason why erectile dysfunction medication will be allowed is because it's medically necessary for some men in order to have babies. But let's be real, that is not why most men are taking erectile dysfunction medication. And at the end of the day, there's other ways that they could have babies, like, which I'm not saying they should, but like, yeah, they, they could, this is not necessary. This is like, this is erectile dysfunction medication isn't something men take to be alive. It's something they take to feel alive. And that is exactly the same case as using toys, toys mm -hmm. for sex. It, it, yes, we don't need them, but they certainly help us unlock pleasure. And this really, this like beautiful feeling that feels, I, to me, it really does like 
make me feel alive. Um, So it's the same thing and it's really frustrating and it's, you know, people are often like, oh, well, that's, you know, medicine, it's pharmaceuticals. And I'm like, well, that's such a weird distinction to make. At the end of the day, the use case is really the same. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's also like, um, we could medicalize, I guess, vibrators if we wanted to, you know, like there are medical uses for them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really, sh- it's strange how, I, mean, I think I'm struggling for the right words here, but well, I don't I'm think the medical. Going too far down the rabbit hole. I, I just feel like it's very reflective of our health system in general mm-hmm. to some degree yeah. where it's like this thing is medically necessary which overrides a function and basically puts a band-aid on something that is it's not fixing or addressing the root issue whereas for a lot of women and humans with vulvas and vaginas it's like a sex toy could be a, ne- a very instrumental thing in learning their own body, overcoming trauma, overcoming their own like sexual um, functionality issues and things like that. And so it's like, who's to say that this is necessary when it's not even addressing a root ish cause it's just, it's a bandaid. And of course that gets into like the people who are making money off of it and benefiting from it and all of that. But yeah, I just- very much our Western system of health. Yeah. Um, and then like also, you know, you have things like Addy, right, which is um, a, a pharmaceutical that you can take for low libido, but also using a vibrator can help with low libido. Yeah. Um, so like it's all, you know, related to the patriarchy and <laughs> everything you know, goes the same. Everything goes back there. <laughs> You know, and I do think like the way insurance companies started covering erectile dysfunction medication, and I believe that happened before birth control was covered. I, honestly, I really need to double check that stat. I feel really silly if I'm pushing out misinformation, but I know that there's like some relationship between those things as well of what, what we view as what insurance should be covering. Well, and luxury tax. Like, let's not forget fucking luxury tax, where for fucking yeah. ever, we're paying luxury tax on tampons because we're bleeding out our body while dudes are getting, you know, like condoms and shit covered totally, no problem. No luxury tax on that. And it just is, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's fucked up. It's super fucked up. Um, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a master's in clinical psychology and then a concentration in sex therapy. Is that right? <laughs> yes. I have my master's yeah. in psychology. Um, and when I did that, I, um, well, before that I, I worked at Planned Parenthood and did some other nonprofit work in like the sex education space. And then when I was at Columbia, I like on my within my master's program, I took every class that was about women, gender, sexuality studies that I could find. So the, pa- I mean, the passion for this work, for empowered for sexuality, passion. for passion. Yeah, the passion for passion <laughs> has been the thread throughout your entire career, much of your education. When did, when were you like, this is all culminating to a multi-million dollar sex toy company is my question how did you get to that because you know like if you're passionate about passion and you obviously did 
some very in-depth in and um, very expensive education in order to have access to a lot of these tools and to work with people in this area in a lot of different ways. And I'm just so curious and, and also love that you ended up in this totally different space that absolutely utilizes the genius and everything you learned and yet is not the application people would have guessed. Oh, and I did my undergraduate degree. I did, I have my major in psychology, a minor in fine arts, a minor in women, gender, sexuality studies. And I did a business program, which was like a, a third minor. Uh, I remember my mom was like, what are you doing? Where is this going? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Like these things do not go together. What's the game plan here? And I had no idea. I had no idea what the game plan was, but I... Trusted. Literally all of those things were super helpful and I'm so happy I did that. And I definitely feel like it's a case for like, just follow your fucking passion. Like just keep doing that. And all of a sudden something will like fall out of the sky for you. Um, I just felt really impatient with becoming a therapist. And I felt like also my impatience with becoming a therapist, probably also, you know, I'm just an impatient person, which is not an ideal trait for a therapist, though I think could work. I think, you know, I could really push you to have those breakthroughs. But um, then I was like, all right, I'm going to take a break. And I ended up working at a small shampoo shop that's called Baba Botanical. So it's all natural shampoo. And we were like three people. And I got to do a little bit of everything and see how a small business runs. And it was an amazing experience. And I was like, I, you can make an impact in the world through capitalism, which is very much what I believe, though I think the word capitalism is super triggering and challenging for people. And um, I was raised by... My, my grandfather, there was a family business. My grandfather started a family business. And my like the idea of working for yourself was what had been very much encouraged to me to be an entrepreneur. Um, and so I remember, I feel like my people were always like, oh, well, you're, what do your parents think about what you do? I get that question a lot. Um, and <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, the truth is my parents were just thrilled when I made the transition from wanting to be a therapist to wanting to be a business owner, they were super excited about that. Um, and they were already on board with the sex part. Like that had been happening for a much longer time. Um, so yeah, I, after working at a small startup, felt like, okay, I can do this too. And I really did think I can make a bigger impact on kind of, I think that you make a bigger impact to individuals as a therapist, but you can make a more mass, maybe more shallow, but more, more mass impact through business and through marketing. And I was really excited by that. And it just like, seemed like such an obvious opportunity. Like this category was so like 80% of my friends own vibrators and we were chatting about it, but there wasn't a single Instagram account that I wanted to follow by a brand in this space. Um, all of the marketing was still very much like skinny white women taking off lingerie. Um, it felt very much for the male gaze, but in actuality, like I do not look sexy when I'm masturbating, right? Like when I'm actually using a vibrator, 
Yeah. I'm like wearing a t-shirt and like rolling out of bed in the morning. Like it's not like I put on candles and eat chocolate. It's like, you know, I, I actually kind of feel like Broad City really like was one of the first places to start visualizing the use of like what it's actually like or what it was like for me. Um, and I wanted to create a brand that championed that. And then I also had some like weird vibrator ideas. One of them was Eva, which is a hands-free vibrator that you can wear while you're having coitus. Oh my God. I uh, need you to tell, I need you to tell the story because <laughs> A, that's one of my favorite things that you make, the day makes. It's incredible. And B, I'm not sure it might've been with Krista and Lindsay on almost 30. I'm not super sure who you were talking to about, like when it came about and how you were basically like, this is something that has little wings that like flip out yeah. inside of your, like, like a beetle hold it in place. <laughs> and you're like testing it, trying to get the sizing, right. Trying to do all this stuff. And you're like running around your apartment with all these different things, like attached to your labia, like trying to figure out. <laughs> 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 Yeah. I mean, like the very first thing I did, well, one, I think like if you ever have like a physical product that you want to make, figure out like the most ratchet way you can kind of make it like take apart other toys and like, you know, just like get some sense of like, could this work? Um, and then of course, because my widget is a vibrator, all my stories are funnier. Um, <laughs> so like the very first thing I did, I was like, Oh, can my like labia hold something in place? Like like the way like your pencil, you know, can your, you can hold them under your tit, you can hold them under your tit. Yeah. You can <laughs> pencil thing. It's like maybe my, my lips could do that. So I took like a half dollar coin and wrapped it in some cellophane and put it in between my labia. And we were house sitting at my parents' house. Um, and my, my now husband was like working all day and like doing stuff. And I like got it to stay in place. And I like was running around. I was so stoked that I was like, oh, this could kind of maybe work. Like maybe and I like ran around the house pantsless when I was like, look what I did today. And he was like, that's not work. It was amazing. And, and then I, and then I started taking apart other vibrators and wrapping them in um, multiple plastic that I got in an art supply store. And then I was able to use something that vibrated during sex. And I had, um, I really believe in sex magic, especially because of this experience where like, I had a very satisfying climax. I was like, this is going to work. I'm going to make money. I'm going to be like, this is great. It was definitely one of the, the better orgasms. Um, and because the product was working and because it felt good and, and it, it just exploded. It felt like it, you know, imagining Alex coming. She's like, this is going to work. <laughs> I literally think that that, that was yes. Um, and then it did, right? So I think that that's kind of how sex magic works. And then I, but it also didn't work in some ways, like taking it to stay placed between positions. And as I was moving around, we needed to make these like movable wings. And also in order to get to work for a bunch of different people with different vulvas, because vulvas are come in all different shapes and sizes mm. so I started making them with these like bendable wings and I had friends come over and drop trow and try them on and like do like grand plies for me uh pantsless and they did it and I have amazing friends who gave me feedback um but really it wasn't until I met my co-founder Janet who like I was learning how to 3d print and I was like super proud of like these 
silly, just hardly workable prototypes I was making. And she, in like a week, redid everything and like made these 3D printed products that were exactly the same. So I could send three different versions to like 10 different people and we could start having much clearer data because when I'm making everything by hand, they just weren't consistent. Um, so that was when it really started to become like a real thing. And then we launched it on Indiegogo crowdfunding site. And when we raised $575,000 in 45 days, oh which was over 6,000 pre-orders, it was really, it was unreal. So it was and like immediately you're like, yeah, this is going to be a thing. Like it wasn't a, doesn't sound well, like a super slow. I mean, the, the product testing and making and, and it was like a year though from when I, but every, yeah. Like, oh shit. It like blew up. It was like a year from when I like ran around the house pants list to when we like launched mm-hmm. on Indiegogo. Um, and you know, there was definitely moments there where my mom was like, you should get a job, you know, like it definitely felt really slow. And, you know, you're just, I remember people being like, oh, did you expect it to, to do so well? And I'm like, on the one hand, like, no, I tried to set more reasonable expectations than that. But on the other hand, like, yeah, I wasn't working. Like I didn't have a job and wasn't looking for a job because I believed in what I was doing so much and thought that it could make a lot of money there. I had done my research. I, I knew that there were other vibrator companies out there that were making 30 plus million dollars on, you know, a few SKUs. So I, yeah, I also did expect it to like, I always think, I think that's, I mean, I always think that's a stupid question when you ask the founder of a company, like, did you know, or think that this was going to work? And you're like, well, I definitely at least hoped against hoped and fucking believed with all my might that it was going to work, or I wouldn't have put everything on the line. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's be real. Exactly. But then, you know, I, but I get the question too. Cause like, I mean, it was, it was so successful and also it wasn't the first few days, like, you know, it, I think on day four, a refinery 29 article came out and that was when we, like, I remember like crying cause we only did $10,000 the first day or something or like, and I was like, shit, what if we don't hit $50,000? This is like our goal. And they kind of say that you're supposed to hit a third of it in like the first two days. Um, our first day or so and but then we got press and it really and then I cried because it was doing so well you know I it was definitely a roller coaster a roller coaster of emotions and it was so powerful to be validated in that way I mean that was what that's what I mean it was great to have the money to be able to go make the product and get the business to really work it was just also like just incredibly validating that this was something other people wanted and I, I thought I knew that. And then it, the people did want it. Um, you know, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> In uh, more ways than one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm like trying to picture you right now running around the house with like plastic wrapped toys, just like stuck up there. <laughs> Out of your lady PAs, you know, all that sounds like a dream. Sounds like a dream weekend. When can we come? <laughs> hang out whenever you guys want (laughs) offer up our labias for science anytime it's hard to measure labia and get you know fit models if you will (laughs) i also like our other products don't rely on the anatomy the way eva relies on the anatomy so um other products have certainly been easier to prototype and we do all of our prototyping in-house 
and send out those prototypes to real humans who give us feedback so that like friend circles become like this process that we live by at Dame. And I think that really like helps what it helps us make great products. It also helps like people learn how to communicate and work on communicating about their experiences. So it kind of feels like this really great we've created this ecosystem that is so rich and nourishing from every, I mean, just the company vision, the company itself, the people in the company, the community you've built, the ambassadors, every one that it touches is, is getting off in the best way possible. (laughs) (laughs) I think empowerment and pleasure, like it's, we're, I mean, so so impressed. And that sounds like such a feeble, like we just have so much respect for you. It's such a truly phenomenal, beautiful thing that you've built. And it's, it's incredible. It's really, truly incredible to witness. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I mean, I feel similarly. It's just, I mean, I, I I mean, Joe, I feel like it touches so many people by sharing. And I always, I think that's so beautiful. Mm. Um, I think so much of like what I gather from the community is really just holding space and hearing other people talk about sexual experiences just helps other people like realize their language and what they can do. And I mean, Chris and I just really started stalking you on Instagram just the other day. Um, and I was like, I, I also just felt like, yes, yes, yes. Like those are the experiences I'm having, especially as a mom. And like so much of that just really, like, really resonated with me. And then like all of a sudden I know how to articulate my experiences better. So I don't know. I think sharing intimate experiences in a public forum, it's not something that everybody needs to do or should do. It's not for everybody, but for the people who do it, I, I think it makes such an impact uh, on the world. So yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the, um, the uh, confirmation, affirmation and that kind of love. I know that there's been so many moments in this like lifetime, especially as I navigate towards this direction where I always like oftentimes feel like, am I sharing too much, especially in the space of sex and the space of sexuality and the space of self-liberation. And then I look at my daughters and I'm like, no, hell no, I'm not. Because if I don't, if none of us do, the either of us here, they are not going to have that opportunity in their lifetime in 10, 15 years from now. Yeah. We have to do the brave shit and pave the path and run around with saran wrap vibrators in our labias to make shit work. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I think so. I think it's a really important thing to be doing because so much of like, like we think about miscarriage, like so yeah. whatever, there are all these things that no one talks about. And I think one of the reasons why people don't talk about it is because it's so personal. Yeah. And I think that that's, that makes a lot of sense. But for the few, having a few people who are willing to talk about it, makes it so when you're going through this deeply intimate personal thing that you maybe don't want to talk about being able to read other people's experiences and know other people experienced it is so healing feeling Um, and heard in their experiences which doesn't mean you ever have to share yours if you don't want to but then it just the the our experiencing of things is so unique to us as humans a lot of people are external processors and what they need in order to feel safe to share their experiences so that they can heal and integrate is permission and so when Mm -hmm. we come out here and talk about these things openly that's exactly what we're doing and that's what each of us I believe is doing in our in our mission is around giving permission 
to accept all of the parts of ourselves, to celebrate all of the parts of ourselves, to be open to possibility. And as we were talking about in the beginning, to having it all, to not feeling like we have to choose things, but being open to the possibility of everything we get to be. And I'm going to have to go find the sound clip on what you were talking about. As far as just your experience in being, you know, non-binary in the way that you don't want being a girl to be the only thing about you. Like it's a thing about you that you love and that you're down with and that you, you know, you feel awesome about. And yet it shouldn't be the defining thing about you. Just like it shouldn't be the defining thing about any of us or our kids. And I, I think yeah, incredible. Well, and to be honest, I don't like, I don't, I, I was like a tomboy. I was definitely one of those like girls that had internal misogyny. Like I'm a, I'm a guy's girl, you know, whatever that fucking means. <laughs> So I know there's like a lot to unpack there. I do also wonder if some of like the feelings, like running a company feels really pretty, fairly masculine 70% of the time. It also feels very nurturing, right? There's some things about it that can feel like very like divine feminine i'm doing air quotes for the people who cannot see because <laughs> but you know i wonder like do you know is it my perception of what it means to be a woman that makes me feel like i really want to be more than a woman or you know do i just need to help change the way we view womanhood and like kind of i think like what joe was saying is like at the end of the day for me it does feel non-binary it doesn't it does feel a little different than just oh, I'm a different type of woman. I do feel a little bit more like, I don't know, maybe that ends, yes end kind of yes like, end. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would agree with that as someone at this moment who has, who has been um, conditioned as and identifies as a cis woman, I think there's so many things about womanhood that we're pushing back on the way womanhood has been modeled for us and has been presented to us. Like there's so many things about womanhood that I don't just, that I don't subscribe to. I'm like, that doesn't Mm -hmm. make any fucking sense for me. So I'm just not going to do it. And that's the same way with motherhood. And that is actually a question, a messy-ish question. It's not super well, I haven't figured out how to articulate it totally, but I'm curious for you becoming a mother, coming into motherhood, motherhood is something that has really like that's like women and the gender binary like motherhood is like the crown jewel of the female gender binary so it's like Mm -hmm. so how how is this experience of you opening all of that up coming into this role like embodying it being with it loving all the things about it that are fucking magic while also not i guess getting sucked into those other pieces i think I wonder too, like for me, I, I think I started describing myself as a non-binary woman while I was pregnant or doing that more. I had, I had for a while been like, I like they, them pronouns or she, they, um, and like my Instagram handle is a fine human. It could have been a fine woman, but like I, for whatever reason, I've always chose human mm-hmm. for, there's always something there. Um, and I do kind of feel like, um, there are just things about motherhood that like, I'm, I scare me still. I'm just not excited about being Kaya's mom. Like I don't want my whole identity to be sucked up into motherhood. I look, I definitely have sat in my bed now and looked at photos that I have taken 
of my child all day, even though she's sleeping right next to me. But yeah, it happens. It happens, right? Like I'm doing, I'm doing some of it that I thought I wasn't gonna do. Um, But I just, I really, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I just don't. There's so many things about like mom groups that I'm just, I just like kind of feel like, oh, I don't know, not for me. And that feeling makes me feel like not girly. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's it just, but then I feel very much like, a, you know, I do feel like a woman mm-hmm. and I do feel, I don't know. It's so, it just doesn't really make sense, but it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I do also kind of feel like since feeling that way, I've been like a little bit more like a little bit more femme or like maybe like I will try on that dress. I've actually like bought three dresses and then realized I'm never going to wear them and I'm returning all of them. Yeah. And that's okay too. But like, I was like, maybe I'll get like something like puffy sleeves and like, and then I tried it on. I was like, I'm not going to. You're like, not me. <laughs> no, still not me. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I love hearing just this. I mean, the evolution of you from what I'm taking and I relate to it so much because I remember being younger and, and I'm, I'm relating in so many different ways right now as you're talking, because I, my eldest is Iris Alexandra, by the way. Um, and so she's in this state too, where I remember she went through what was a, what, what she labeled as like her tomboy phase. Right. And so as she's talking to me about her development as a woman, I'm listening to her and I'm like, fuck, you were totally my daughter because there was a time in my life where I was like, I'm tomboy. I'm anti all the girl things. I don't want to be labeled as like a female because of all the different societal conditioning that we know as women to be. And then you kind of go through and in some way, check off all the things that you society tells you you're going to check off. Like here I am now as a mother here I am now like with a family and the things that I was so resistant to as a young girl and then falling into as I go into a womanhood and you know now like what I think is really funny is there was a part of me for a long period of time that resisted the idea of motherhood yeah and you said like I don't know I don't want to be known as like Kaya's mom right because you didn't want that identity to just be the thing that you were known for and but now I love her so much and I have been totally, Kaya's mom. Totally, right? Because I, I can relate to that because here I am stepping into this version of my motherhood. And I'm like, this is a part of my life that I almost denied myself to step into for a very long time, mm. but it feels so right for me. I'm excited to explore it too. Yeah. And I hope that like... <sighs> Like the way when I was like a tomboy and was like, no glitter, no like pink, even though like then turns out like those things are dope. Yeah. Why would I right. be so anti something? Um, where does, and like, is, oh my God, so many things you just said. Like, is that coming from feeling like, okay, being a girl has less power and therefore I don't want those things. Um, yeah, I don't want to deny myself anything in motherhood that it can be really beautiful. Um, and I am excited to just learn and to like, let my identity shift and change and see, see where it goes. But I do, 
really loved working. Um, you know, like I, I like said I was going to take maternity leave for three months and I lasted like six weeks ish. Um, and that's also because being a mom is a lot of work is like the other thing. And work is actually not as much work. Right. Compared maybe. to everything some, that comes emotionally and mentally and <laughs> physically with being the sole source of survival for a tiny human. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, I and there's it's, stuff. one of my friends had a baby like three weeks before me. And I was like, how, how's it going? She was like, he's just like, really irrational sometimes <laughs> I thought that was super funny because like yeah so that's like a much more fresh like when I do things at work these like logical things happen after and when I do things with my daughter it's not always the case it just oh. I feel like it's like no control um so when I'm done with work I go to this other job literally which is totally a job I pay somebody else to do it for like most of the day so it's definitely a job and that job is, you know, one of, so I feel like I'm never off and it's just like a different, more mentally challenging, less power given yeah. for said work. Yeah. Um, but a lot of, a, a lot of love. Yeah. Like a, love a is pretty dope. Fulfillment, a very different type of fulfillment and also just requires and pulls on, I think because there's so much fear and anxiety, anxiety and unknown about it. Like it pulls on these tender places that just, they feel more emotionally draining. They require like more of you than things that you've been doing for a long time that you've gotten really good at that you feel sure about. There's this sureness in everything else. Yeah. There is this, like I would never trade this. And there's so much about it that I'm constantly learning and you can't get comfortable. And the second you feel like you figured it out, they flip the switch on you and they're like, no, we're doing something else now. And I think you know, being with kids is so incredible because it is before we all try to condition them out of it. It's like, it is the practice of being with a person who is truly fluid, who is called, who is following their curiosity. And like every day they're like, Oh, today I'm really into this. And this feels awesome. And I kind of mm -hmm. love it. And the next day, not enthused about it. I would rather be doing this or trying this or whatever. And they don't feel no need to apologize for it. Like that's just who they are that day and what they're doing and what they're figuring out. And I think it's amazing. And also we are so used to like, we have to understand everything has to be like, this is how it goes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, if it doesn't go that way, yeah. then it doesn't make sense. And we keep trying to make sense out of everything. And it doesn't, very little of it has to do with you actually fucking understanding it. It's more about your presence to the experience mm -hmm. and your willingness to be resilient and in that experience and like sit in it. And I feel like that's true of gender and motherhood and sexuality and everything else. It's like if we could just stop talking about like everything is a fucking range. Like everything has, you know, a, a two ends and there's a lot that happens in between it. And it's been interesting for me because I feel I've had so many of these conversations, especially over the years. I have a lot of friends who are polyamorous. I have a lot of friends, you know, who identify in a lot of different ways. And on the outside, like I appear to be a pretty straightforward, white, straight, heteronormative, you know, girl. But at the same time, there's so much of me that's constantly asking, like, if I wasn't raised and conditioned so deeply that way, like who, who the fuck knows? Like, I definitely don't at this moment, I don't feel particularly called to 
relabel or like claim in an aggressive way, like anything, but also having this understanding of myself that I am such Mm -hmm. a fluid human being. Like there are so many things about me that are changing. And I, I think part of becoming a mother that's been really empowering for me is that because it's so important to me that James understands that she gets to be who and whatever she wants. It has called me up to a higher level of integrity where I am now like just, I don't owe people explanations for it. Again, understanding is an essential. Like another person doesn't have to understand what I'm going through for it to be a valid choice for me. So it's just like living into these experiences and, and modeling those for her and not really worrying about whether everyone else has, has, is caught up or not. Like, I don't care if everyone's caught up with where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I, I just, I think a lot of what you said almost like sounded like, like Taoism, like, you know, mm-hmm. like following the, following the way, like, just like, you know, letting the universe guide you and not like being very comfortable, not knowing. And just, I, I kind of feel like that those lessons from motherhood are great lessons for just life. Mm-hmm. you know like you just gotta chill and go with the flow and for me it's know the crying is you know impermanence like this will not last forever <laughs> it will not shift differently sorry ladies i hate to tell you this it just changes in the teenage years it keeps on changing right impermanence it's like the one it's, the one thing it's human on. fluidity yeah. <laughs> the one constant um <laughs> And I think it's been really cool too for work. I think it's really impacted the way I work in a way that's great. And yeah, there's so much learning. It's a really good challenge. Yeah. Thank you folks so much for listening. If this conversation tickled your fancy, opened your mind, or gave you permission to simply express yourself a little bit more authentically, Share with a friend, rate us on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 